Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Claire Allerud. Claire is a youth minister in Sugarland, Texas. Uh, she ran track in college and has a her own YouTube channel called Catholic Rose, and she has a great devotion to the Virgin Mary. And today, we're going to talk about kind of the beauty and tradition of, church, of the church, and and really with a focus on, you know, chapel veils, what they mean, and uh, you know, really the story behind them as well. So, Claire, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Deacon. Very happy to be here. Well, really appreciate your time, and uh, maybe you can just uh, fill us in a little bit about your background because you weren't. You weren't raised Catholic, right? At least not at an early age. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's correct. So I was um, born and raised up in the Northeast, and uh, we didn't grow up actually with any faith, which is now often not very common in America. And uh, we didn't go to church. The only experience of church that I ever saw was on my mom's side of the family. Her younger brother was a very devout Catholic. He had a brown scapular around his neck, which I never knew what the heck it was. Uh, I only saw him wearing it, you know, at the beach and stuff. Uh, but on vacations, we would go with them on occasion to mass, and that would only be on ski trips or summer breaks down by the ocean because uh, they were very devout, you know, never missed a Sunday mass. So we would go with them. I remember the structure of the mass. And then my dad's side of the family was all Protestant. So when I was very young, maybe first grade, second grade, I was inquiring and asking my parents if we could go to a church on Sunday. Uh, I think being up in New England, a lot of people still have that kind of roots and my friends are doing that and we weren't. So we did, if I did ever ask, we went to a Protestant church and then it wouldn't be until um, middle school. And that was very rare. We would only go to that Protestant church maybe, I don't know, twice a year or something. Uh, when I was in middle school, unfortunately, my parents got divorced. And through that hardship, um, my mom's younger brother kind of took her under his wing, brought her to the faith. Uh, and that really, really helped us having uh, the faith like that. And so, yeah, eighth grade, ninth grade is kind of around the time that I got baptized with my younger sister. We received our first Holy Communion and jumped right into the CCE program to get confirmed um, in the later years of high school. And then my faith, though, really took off once I went off to college. I went to a small little Augustinian school up in New England, and thanks be to God, we had daily mass, we had priests, and just being surrounded with certain very devout Catholics, they introduced me to the rosary, and the rosary and devotion to Mary is what really changed my whole life. And ever since then, yeah, it's been a crazy roller coaster. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of God's plan, right? If you want to make them laugh, tell them your plans, and uh, you just really mm -hmm. have to oh, sure. he leads and guides us, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Well, and so you ended up being a youth minister or getting a job as a youth minister down out just outside of Houston. Um, how does your how did your upbringing really help you relate to the kids that you're dealing with at the church? Oh, that's a fantastic question. Yeah, a lot of my kids, the reason they come to us, I work with high school, the reason they come to us is because, you know, their parents know that they should be confirmed or maybe they get, you know, our mail or a phone call from our parish saying, hey, you know, we have them in the database and we're like, hey, it's time for your child to get confirmation. Um, yeah, when they come in, they many, many of them have not been to mass in maybe over 10 years. They haven't been to confession. So I was very much like that child. Uh, just a fish out of water, not exposed to any of the sacraments, not knowing much about the faith, kind of learning the faith through social media or TV, maybe through your peers. 
and just not knowing the fullness and the beauty of the Catholic faith. That's kind of the really exciting part with what I get to work with is sharing and yeah, exposing these kids to the beauty and the richness of our Catholic faith and just watching them uh, fall in love with it. And yeah, we introduce them to the Virgin Mary and it's all through Mary, through the rosary, through consecration to her, that our kids' lives are transformed. Well, you know, really since Vatican II, the beauty and and we see, especially now in in, in hyper gear, the tradition of the church continually gets attra- uh, attacked, right? We saw churches being built in the 60s and 70s that look like anything but churches, right? We mm-hmm. see, we saw uh, the religious get rid of their habits, uh, these all kind of craziness. And we see, you know, as, as what it's led to today, but it really is that how did the embracing of the tradition and the beauty of the church really attract you? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, you know what? I can even point back to you when I was a very young kid. So like I said, dad's side of the family went to the Protestant church. Mom's side of the family went to the Catholic church. Uh, when I was very young, we're talking maybe still that second grade little girl. I remember thinking, oh, I want to make my own church one day. You know, I want to take a little bit of dad's church, a little bit of mom's church, mix it together, have my own thing. Um, but what I remember out of that is that what really drew me to my mom's side of the faith, which is the Catholic faith, was the consistency, was the tradition, was the routine. It was something where we could be up in New Hampshire, we could be down in Cape Cod in Massachusetts, and no matter what Catholic church we went to, I could start, even though we went only once or twice a year in those vacation months, I could start to understand and kind of follow along with the rhythm, with the liturgy. Whereas when we went to the Protestant um, services, they were all over the place. We had a bell service. We had, you know, a communion wafer thing or something going on. So there was always variety. And I think as a kid, you're just drawn to structure, routine, some sense of normalcy. Um, So that was very attractive to me. Um, But it was really when I went to college and with some of my peers, we started visiting um, a lot of mass parish and just seeing the reverence there, seeing the beauty of the churches, the rich tradition there, seeing the little altar servers with such precision and attention to detail to all their movements. You know, they're only, I don't know, three feet tall, four feet tall, little altar servers. And yeah, just that devotion inspired me something higher, you know, and that kind of what draws you to heaven. It draws you to beauty. And now where I work, we have an amazing choir. We have an organist. Uh, or multiple organists, but one in particular who I love. She's just graduating college with, uh, she studied that. And yeah, just the younger generation is just bringing back the beauty of the Catholic faith. And yeah, I see it, you know, for myself, but then also my high school kids, very much drawn to that beauty. Well, you know, one of the reasons I reached out to you, because I really, you know, I, I think there's such beauty in the chapel veil to, to see women mm-hmm. uh, wear them in in the church, um, maybe you could talk about kind of the reasoning behind that, because, you know, we saw, you know, in the 60s, as I mentioned before, you know, religious orders, unfortunately, some of them got rid of their habits and it became, you know, women's feminism and lib- women's lib mm-hmm. and that kind of. Thing. But really, this is this isn't a, a degradation, right? This is really of raising women up and to show how special you really are. Oh, yes, for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. The first couple of times I saw women wearing chapel veils or young adults was at the SEEK conference, which is that massive conference of young adults that kind of pulls together 13,000, I think they're up to 18,000 
college age students in the winter months. And I would see these young uh, women around my age, young ladies wearing these beautiful chapel veils and it drew me to something. It, it reminded you, especially when you're in big conference spaces, that something holy is happening. You know, whenever you see a girl put a chapel veil on, you know you're in the presence of God, whether it's in church, whether it's in, you know, we go to camps or retreat facilities that, you know, we don't always have a chapel available. So we kind of convert a little space to be our chapel um, or Eucharistic processions. You know, you're out in nature walking around and when you see that chapel veil, you know, God is present. Um, but to the dignity of the woman. Yeah. So I always talk to my high school kids about this because sometimes they're intrigued. Right. And so they're curious and they start asking questions. So anything in the Catholic Church that is beautiful, sacred and life giving is veiled. So if you look at the tabernacle, if you look at the chalices, all those items are beautiful, life-giving, and sacred. And so is the woman. She is beautiful, life-giving, and sacred. And so for that um, purpose and dignity, she is veiled in a garment as such with a veil over her head. And you know, it has its biblical roots too. It's a Jewish tradition. We are completed Jews as Catholics. And so we kind of pass on that tradition. Um, yeah. So was it um, a little unnerving the first time you wore it, especially if you walk into a church or maybe even after you started wearing the, the chapel veil, walking into a church where no one else is wearing one? Hmm. That's a great question. Yeah. So I first started having a desire to wear a chapel veil when I was in college. Uh, the churches up in the Northeast, a lot of people don't wear chapel veils. Like I said, where I saw that was more commonly in large young adult gatherings or you'd see it on YouTube or different things like that. Um, I actually, it took a couple of years before I started wearing my first one. And it wouldn't be until I worked consistently by moving down to Texas, where there was more people around me wearing the veil. Um, and also, I think it comes part of your prayer life, too. I, I think God kind of gnaws on your heart for dis, different people at different stages of your life. And slowly but surely, yeah, it kind of, I don't know, you get that grace to do it. Cause like I said, kind of in my discernment of wearing the chapel veil, what I took into account too was people's opinions or thoughts, which, you know, isn't always the best way to go about it. Um, but it is a reality. It's a insecurity sometimes. And yeah, what happened for me was yeah, I kind of let go of that and more focused on what is God um, asking of me? What, how can I show, show more reverence to him? Um, and yeah, once you put God in the foremost part of your heart and center of mind, then, I don't know, more things become more clear. And yeah, you start, I don't know, picking up all these beautiful Catholic traditions and just embracing them more fully. Some people think, well, you know, I don't want to bring attention to myself, but that's that's not the purpose. Yeah. It, it really is yeah. humility. It's just, you know, just a respect for our Lord and to realize this didn't just start, right? It's something that unfortunately went away kind of with Vatican II, but it's something that was really part of the history of the church even before the New Testament, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was before the New Testament. It's been a tradition for almost all of human, I think, lifetime here. I was looking at some stuff, and yeah, only in the past, I think, 50 years did people in general stop wearing hats, you know? Hats were a huge whenever you left the house, you always had your head covered in some manner. It was some, it came, you know, from religious roots. It came from tradition, but yeah, only in the past 50, maybe 80 years now we've stopped wearing, um, head garments outside and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was looking up just before we, we spoke and, uh, I saw where Pope 
St. Linus, who was the successor, direct successor of Peter, decreed that it was established from the, the command of Blessed Peter that a woman should enter a church with her head covered. So this isn't something that, you know, they just cropped up. This is it's from the beginnings of the church. Women were covering their heads, and it really did signify that sacredness that you were talking about. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then also in Corinthians 11, St. Paul also encouraged women and said uh, that they should cover their heads in prayer. Um, yeah, so it is biblical. And as completed, you know, Jews, we also can pass on that tradition. And of course, it's not a sin not to wear a chapel veil. You know, it's something um, to take to prayer. And yeah, slowly but surely with your own grace and strength, like discerning if that is what God's asking you to do. There is a book by uh, Alice von Hildebrand in the book's titled Women and the Priesthood. And there's a paragraph, I'm just going to read just one caption because I think she summarizes it so well. It says, the interpretation rests on a misunderstanding. Far from indicating uh, inferiority, the veil points to the sacredness, as you mentioned. While we do cover what is ugly and decaying, right, the veil also covers what is sacred. And every woman that carries within herself this sake, the secret, most sacred mystery, sublime, right, is the secret of life. And so oh, this yeah. is such a it's such a beautiful reminder for for somebody who's listening and you know, all right, well, all right, Claire's done it. How do I find a chapel veil? What color should I wear? Mm-hmm. I mean, does it does that matter or where can they find them? <laughs> they don't have to spend, you know, a hundred dollars on one, right? They're very affordable. Oh, they're very affordable. Yeah, there's actually a website. I think it's, if you just Google bulk chapel veils, you can actually get them for about $5. Um, Or, you know, if you like Amazon, Amazon, less than 20, you can find chapel veils. Or what's also becoming even common is ladies wearing headscarves, you know, like kind of that solid color scarf and then just popping it up over your head. Um, So there's many ways in which you can um, veil yourself. As for colors, Traditionally, um, young virgin girls would wear white, um, and that's a really beautiful um, thing as well, because imagine when you go up to receive Holy Communion, right, you're becoming one with God, um, a young girl wearing a white chapel veil, processing down the aisle, it's kind of like you're walking to your wedding, right? You're walking to that union with Christ, kind of to heaven. Um, So that's kind of the tradition of that. And then for a married woman, once you become married um, and you become one with your spouse, you would wear a black veil, which means, you know, yeah, that you're dead to yourself, dead to the world, and now you're one with your spouse. Uh, And there's other colors, you know, some ladies do like to wear the liturgical colors um, or just a simple white one. Uh, But yeah, there's different scarves and headgear you can wear. And yeah, and like you said, liturgical covers. I know when my daughter went into the convent right after the first year, right, she wore a white veil. And after she made, you know, vows, then she went to the black veils, you know, kind of signifying what you were talking about as well. How did uh, how did your relationship with the Virgin Mary grow as your faith grew and, and really give you the confidence, not just to wear Chapelville, but just to grow in your faith and realize that you are, you know, a child of God and how much you're loved? Oh, yeah, for sure. Wearing the chapel veil brings you very intimately to Mary because she herself, you know, always wore a chapel veil. And so to cloak yourself as Our Lady did really brings you into deeper meditation to her life. Uh, For me, like I said, in college, praying the Most Holy Rosary, meditating on Mary's life, on Jesus's life, entering into those mysteries, spending that quiet time uh, saying those meditative words over and over again, Hail Mary, full of grace. 
Um, yeah, that, I think the graces, right, that Our Lady granted through the rosary definitely propelled me and moved me towards one of those things being of wearing a chapel veil. Um, but yeah, she's our mother. She's so sweet and loving. And yeah, just my devotion to her definitely brought about uh, wearing the chapel veil because you want to be like mom, you know, and if mom's wearing a chapel veil, hey, I want to wear one too. So <laughs> yeah. It definitely has a connection. Well, it's just the fullness of all virtue, right? So of every virtue. So mm-hmm. if there's a model there, you can't come up with a better one. Um, you know, look up, yeah. you know, just looking at some of your other interviews online and different things, I see you have a, a devotion to the Venerable Maria of Egrida. And I'm yeah. not sure if you pronounced the last sure. name right. Maybe you could maybe you could talk <laughs> about that so people can understand who she is and, and just uh, maybe a little bit more about her. Oh, I would love to. Yes. So moving on to Texas, I've been here now about five, six years. I came across this venerable named Venerable Mary of Agreda or Agreda. It's a place in Spain. Long story short, she actually bilocated to Texas and New Mexico back around the time that Christopher Columbus, right, was traveling over. And she spoke, she bilocated, she spoke to the Native Americans, she taught them the Catholic faith. And it's just absolutely incredible because yeah, she spread the faith to 15,000, I believe, natives, and eventually they were able to um, convince a priest to come. And in one day, about 15,000, I believe, were baptized, which is like, what, three times Pentecost or something crazy like that. So that is Venerable Mary of Agreda. Um, she bilocated to America. So I'm praying, I'm hoping, I hope you all can pray, ask for her intercession, learn more about her, but maybe she will be one of our next American saints. Um, and what a beautiful thing to have, because not only did she bilocate, her body's incorruptible. It's still in Spain. You can go visit it. Um, her order still exists. They're called the Conceptionists. Um, but she, what's really cool about her is that she wrote down what's called the Mystical City of God, which is the title of Our Lady, and it's the hidden life of the Virgin Mary. So, and you know, I've heard in different manners too. It's kind of this new era, right, of a more increased devotion to Our Lady, to the Virgin Mary. And so, what better time than ever that this book becomes more prevalent for people to start buying it and reading? It's called Mystical City of God. Uh, you can get the abridged version. There's a four volume, which is very long and harder to read. You might give up, <laughs> but the abridged version is super easy. Uh, you can find the link in one of my videos on her. But um, anyways, yeah, especially during the season of or any liturgical season, I'm thinking particularly about Advent, you can really enter into the mystery of her carrying Christ, the season of her um, going to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, all the travels, her visiting her cousin Elizabeth is written down more in detail. Um, There's writings of her, you know, creating clothing for St. John the Baptist, just beautiful little things that, you know, in your own meditation and prayer, you might not have thought of or yeah, you wouldn't really know unless she wrote this down. So it's very amazing. Many popes have encouraged it, have promoted it, um, and it's just been hidden, you know, and I don't think the evil one really wants people to know more about it. So learn about Our Lady, uh, and you can trust it because Our Lady appeared to her. Uh, she verbatim, you know, when you read it, how it's written is Mary's dialogue. And at the end of each chapter, Mary kind of gives a little what shall we call it, ending to the chapter, explaining why she shared this memory of her life, why it's particularly important to meditate on this. So, for example, the story of, I think, St. Joseph's death. And at the end of that, she explains why it's super important that we have a devotion to St. Joseph, how high he is in heaven. And yeah, I don't know. I could go on and on. It's just such a fantastic book. She's a fantastic, hopefully future saint. 
um, in November actually is brought back to the Pope's um, desk, his table, and there's a whole conference for her in Italy for her. So keep praying for her, um, and she might be a new future saint. It was interesting, you know, when I heard some of your talks on it. So I hope other people look up, and I, I do want to get the book because I think it would be, you know, fascinating to just mm-hmm. get deeper insight onto things that might be not in scripture, but to get a better perspective, not only on St. Joseph, yeah. but, you know, you mentioned the de- devotion to Mary and, you know, in the times that we're, we're in now, right, the challenges, some of the things that are coming out of Rome and, and things that could dissuade one in the faith, it really is the devotion to Mary and allowing her to be our mother to protect us and let us and help her allow us to draw closer to Christ really that can make the difference. Are you, are you seeing a greater devotion to the Virgin Mary with the students that, that you're working with? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Like I said, this is the error of the Virgin Mary. I mean, every error probably is for her, but especially this time. Um, yeah, it's just so natural. Even I would say people who are coming into the church, you know, I have a lot of young adult friends who just, you know, show up on our doorstep and they're curious about the faith. They want to become Catholic. And you always trace it back to why or how this prompt you or it comes back to Mary. You know, she is the mother. She is the nurturer. She, yeah, she brings all her children back to the holy fold of mother church. And that's the Catholic church. So yes, um, it's, it's everywhere. Mary is so strong, so powerful, taking care of our youth, taking care of our new Catholics, all of it. Just out of curiosity, because I, I've seen it go either way, but, you know, really when the students come in and the parents, you know, just figure, all right, well, they just need to read, re, you know, get confirmed and, you know, they'll, they'll reach their apex in the faith, unfortunately. How have your, have your students, or do they understand how important it is not only for them to grow in the faith, but then maybe go back and teach their parents the faith because they were so poorly oh, catechized yeah. as youth? <laughs> Oh, for sure. You know, that's actually a beautiful thing. So ever since we started doing high school youth ministry, which is about now five years, six years, um, yeah, the kids will get strong in the faith. We encourage them actually to pray four rosaries a day. So that'd be the joyful, luminous, sorrowful, and glorious all in one day. So you do one in the morning, one in the afternoon, maybe during lunchtime, one after school, maybe around three o'clock, and then one right before bed. Uh, And these kids, with that prayer life, um, the rosary is right, one of the easiest ways to learn how to pray, to have meditation, to grow deeper in the faith of Jesus and Mary. Uh, they bring that home to their family. You know, they'll start asking their parents, hey, mom and dad, can we do a family rosary? Mom, would you like to pray with me? Hey, I see this is going hard in our life. Let's do a rosary. Uh, and what's been happening is, yeah, families have been converting. Families have been coming together. They're getting stronger. And even cooler is I'll have younger siblings come into my office and they're like, hey, I saw my older brother. He's been praying the rosary a lot. I want to start praying. How do I do that? How do I fit into my schedule? Uh, I want to be like him one day. So it's it's converting our parish for sure. I mean, when you work with the youth, when you convert them, when they become on fire for Jesus Christ and the Virgin Mary, I mean, yeah, the whole church is converted. It's amazing. I'm just curious, how has being a youth minister and, and sharing the faith helped you grow in your faith? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I'm a spiritual mother now, so I have children. I have to pray for them. <laughs> so I, I it's, it's really increased my prayer life. You know, when you love souls, um, you do anything for them. You'll suffer for them. You'll sacrifice for them. You'll pray for them. Um, so yeah. So if you are out there and you have difficulty praying, if you have difficulty being consistent, doing some love, go find souls that you can choose to suffer for. You can choose to love for, 
um, you can choose to give everything for. You can choose to bring to Our Lady and she will pick them up, um, wrap them in her mantle and draw them closer to her immaculate heart. So yeah, run to her. Well, it kind of reminds me, you know, just this, you know, hearing your story and all the things you're doing, right? You're giving and giving and giving. But the the reminder is, right, the Lord is never outdone in generosity. So no matter what we give, Amen. we give way more than we give, don't we? Oh, for sure. And my spiritual director always says, Jesus says, you know, you take care of my people, I'll take care of your people. So when you take care of the people in front of you, you take care of your job, you take care of the vocation that God's called you to. You will take care of all your other concerns, all your other worries, maybe the family that you live far away from. You know, he takes care of everything. It is such a beautiful story and, uh, you know, and a reminder to each and every one of us, right? We're all, right, go out to all the world and share the good news uh, is is not relegated to just uh, youth ministers, right? It's, it really is incumbent sure. upon all. And you, and you can do so much when you have the kids an hour or a few hours a week, but really it's a reminder to parents of you can't give what you don't have, right? Unless we're going to grow in our faith and we can't give something we don't have, can we? Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, it starts in the families. Um, if families are stronger, the church is, is stronger. You know, uh, a family unit is the smaller version of the domestic church on the wider scale. So, yeah, if mom and dad are strong in their faith, if they love God, um, that love will grow between them. It will go into their children and then that will go into the rest of the world. So, yeah, it, it starts in the family. Uh, and to grow stronger in your faith, it really it first starts with prayer. It starts with the Most Holy Rosary. That goes into meditation, deep intimacy with, you know, Mary and Jesus. And then that's, that love of knowing God more, of knowing Mary more, will keep prote- propelling you to learn more about the faith, to spread the faith. You know, if you're at the post office, if you're at the grocery store, you can't help but smile with joy, want to share that love with others. Maybe you're wearing a miraculous medal. Maybe that sparks a conversation with someone. Maybe you give a miraculous medal to someone. It's just a snowball. It's this roller coaster. It's just, yeah, if you give God a little bit of your heart, he will take it, transform it, and help you because he wants you to be a saint. He wants you to be in heaven with him for all eternity. He created you to be a saint. Um, We just have to say yes. We have to ask for help. A lot of us, we fall into pride thinking that we're going to tough it out. We're going to do it on our own. You know, during Advent or Lent, we're just going to man up and just do it. And yeah, there's a part of us choosing to be good is a, tr- a part of us choosing to be sacrificial, but you got to ask for help. You know, Mary and Jesus are right there. The saints are right there. You got to ask, you got to be small. And that's exactly what the saints did. You know, I love St. Gemma Gogani. Um, I love Padre Pio. I love all these wonderful saints, but what they were, were small, small and humble. And they just asked for help. They said, Mary, help me with this. Help me cook this meal with love. And that's what we're all called to do. All of us need to eat. We're all cooking at home. All of us have to, you know, drive the car, do this and that, but you can do it with love, with the presence of God. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.